Here at HorrorOasis.com, we are advocates of the horror genre and strive to amplify underrepresented voices in the horror community. This space is for indie artists to promote their work. Please enjoy your stay, and hopefully it's not your last. Spacefaring researchers disturb an ancient horror. An enchanted object curses a grieving widow. A haunted reel torments a film student. A murder trial hinges on a chilling testimony. Howls from Hell. A new horror anthology from Hal Society Press. Stephen Graham Jones calls it quality horror by true believers who can write. With a forward by Grady Hendrix, Howls from Hell unveils the horror writers of tomorrow with spine-tingling stories from P.L. McMillan, Shane Hawk, J.W. Donnelly, Lindsay Ragsdale, Amanda Nevada DeMille, and others. Available now in paperback, ebook, and audiobook from Amazon and most other major booksellers. Howls from Hell. Welcome to Dead Head Space, a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic car paperbacks for the new generation. It's June, which means it's Pride Month. Keep your sights on our website, deadheadspace.com. We're hosting a few articles from members of the LGBTQ plus community, such as Eric LaRocca, hope I said that last name right, T.C. Parker and Bree Morgan. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough. I'm running solo today, but my co-host is actually a guest, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hi, Brennan. And we are joined by Mercedes M. Yardley. Say hi, Mercedes. Hi. As well as Sina Palayo. Say hi, Sina. Hi, everyone. As well as Rhonda J. Joseph. Say hi, Rhonda. Hey, y'all. And lastly, the person that is responsible for this roundtable, Tyler Jones. Say hi, Tyler. Hello. I'm going to throw it to you, Tyler. Tell us how you came up with the title of the episode, Find the Torch, Burn the Plans, as well as the general idea for the episode. Oh, man. Uh, believe it or not, um, Mercedes, it was actually uh, you that inspired me to reach out to Patrick about this. So lo- long story short, I have a, uh, an 11, soon to be 12-year-old son who has cerebral palsy. So it's, uh, for, for those who don't know, cerebral palsy is a disability that's caused by a brain injury, um, usually at birth. <clears throat> And it can cause a variety of disabilities. And in my son's case, his name is Liam. Uh, he's a quadriplegic. He's in a wheelchair. Uh, he's nonverbal. 
He has seizures. Um, he's got restrictive lung disease. So he has a host of medical issues. And uh, I, I just wasn't aware of any writers in the community who had children with disabilities. And um, as all you beautiful people know, it influences you in ways that I think we're not even always aware of consciously. And uh, in I had read some of Mercedes' work, and, and I found out that she had a child with... Um, Williams syndrome. And so I reached out to her and just felt, I don't know, a little camaraderie, I suppose, that there was another writer out there in the community who also uh, shared this challenge. And then I thought there's got to be others. And I think uh, for me personally, it's a, it's a hard thing to, to, to speak about publicly because I want to protect him. And I feel that in talking about him or if I post something about him online that I'm I'm putting him in a space that uh, exposing him to people that I don't think will understand him and the how beautiful and incredible he is as a human. Um, and so I wanted, I'm so grateful to, to Patrick and Brennan that you guys were open to this idea because I wanted to discuss creativity and art and our children and horror <laughs> and all its, all its complexity in a, in a space like this with people who, uh, who understand it. So that's where the idea came from and find the torch, burn the plans. Um, I think Mercedes, you made the comment in the group chat that the, that book that is often handed to parents uh, who have children with disabilities is roadmap to Holland. And um, I'm sure it's a wonderful book for many people, but uh, for, for some of us in certain scenarios, it, it falls short. And uh so the title comes from what I wish someone would have told me when my son was first born, because you've got all these plans for your life and what it means to be a parent. And you think of what it's going to look like. And I wish someone would have pulled me aside and said, listen, man, find the torch, burn the plants. It's going to be so much different. You're on a completely different road here. It's going to be beautiful and it's going to be extraordinarily painful, but it's going to be worth it. But all those plans you have, torch them. They're done. They're finished. So that, that that is the genesis of it. Before anyone else talks, I would actually, and that was beautiful, man. Um, I would like to actually hear, I don't remember where I heard you talk about this, but Criterium, just how you wrote that, where you wrote it and so forth. I think it's worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, so not Criterium. I think you might be thinking of Midas, maybe. Which is, um, it, not to bore everybody, but it's a, it's a novel that I started a few years ago. It's making the rounds with agents right now, but I wrote significant portions of that in the hospital with my son. And it's the entire book is about coming to terms with his disability and what it means for him, which is in his... Uh, situation is, is a shortened life expectancy, which is a, just a reality that um, my wife and I have to accept that that's on the table. And um, so this book, I, I wrote a lot of it in the hospital by his bedside. Um, and I found some fascinating comfort in writing a horror story about a father who can't accept the death of his child. And uh, yeah, but what a thing, what a thing to be able to create art that can distract from the horrors of real life. You know, we can contain it in some way on a page and, um, 
it's also, I've, I've found it useful for um, saying, here's the situation that I'm afraid of. And if I stretch it out into the future to its logical conclusion, meaning if I refuse to accept this reality, what does that look like for me? What does that look like for my wife and our marriage, our relationship? What does it look like for, for my soul? And uh, writing that horror story in a hospital helped me come to terms with a lot of things. So I found it extraordinarily useful. Is that what you were referring to, Patrick? Yeah, I thought it was my apologies. I thought it was Criterium. Um, no, that's okay. I didn't know uh, actually a lot more than you just said. I, uh, I appreciate you sharing that with us. I just have one more question then. Actually, I'd like to jump to Mercedes um, to hear why she's here and so forth. But my question is with that book specifically, are you afraid of the reception due to how vulnerable it sounds like you uh, bled very much on the page? Are you afraid of the reception due to the vulnerability of like, here I am and here's my son. That's a good question. Uh, You know, more than anything, I'm worried. I'm worried that it won't be seen as a good story that maybe there's too much. Uh, yeah. I, that was, a, that's a hard balance to find to, to, to approach that subject honestly, but also to tell a story that hopefully that people would want to read. So that honestly is my biggest fear. <laughs> Oddly enough, I'm okay with the, with the blood on the page. I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, there are passages in there while I was editing it that I, I couldn't make it through. I just broke down. I don't know if anyone else would see that. You know, I, I don't know if they would see or understand what I was feeling, but maybe that's the point, you know, to allow someone else to bring their their baggage to it. Yeah, that's why you're right. So we can understand bridge each other's lives. Um, Mercedes, can you whatever you want to share? Can you please tell us why you're here today? Well, I'm here um, because, as uh, Tyler mentioned, I have a son, Nico. His name is Nikolai that has both Williams syndrome and, and, and autism, although technically you can't have both at once. So he has Williams syndrome with autistic behaviors. Um, so Williams syndrome means that you are very sociable and personable and usually talks very, very well and very outgoing and autism, you know, of course tends to be kind of the opposite of that. And so as a result, I have the son that doesn't fit in the Williams syndrome world and doesn't really fit in the on the autistic in the autistic world so much. And so he doesn't fit anywhere, but at the same time he fits perfectly with us. And, um, we were kind of discussing, um, amongst us a little bit, what it's like being a parent and being a working parent and being an author with, um, a child with disabilities and kind of, kind of the sorrow that that brings and kind of, um, just, there's an extra weight to it that, I mean, all parents have weight, but Tyler mentioned something once when we were discussing it kind of off camera earlier. Um, we're just waiting for our children to hurt in a way. We're just waiting for, we have this inevitable weight of what's going to happen to them. And um, my son's life is also, life expectancy is is shortened. We've lost him many a time, you know, almost lost him many a time. And he's been on the dialysis floor and we, you know, lived in the hospital for pretty much three years when we were living in Seattle. Um, well, the, uh, the hospital actually has something called a fast pass. We would be there so often, we would just let this pass, and they'd let us to the front because we were there every day for something, or we would just stay there. And and um, 
so that's why I'm here. Um, Nico just turned 18 last month. We're still trying to get guardianship over him because the paperwork didn't go through like it should have. And um, it's just a, it's just a different life that a lot more people understand than it feels like. It feels like we're very isolated, but there are quite a few people in the same situation. It's just so vulnerable to talk about it. I think a lot of us don't because we want to protect our children and ourselves. Um, but but there's there's we are legion. There's a bunch of us. Well said. Rhonda, how about you? Why are you here today? Uh, well, I I was just really excited that um, that that I could find fellowship with other parents. Um, you know, I talk to Cena a lot. And so, you know, that's one parent. Right. Um, but the other parents with disabled children that I know um, and, and would otherwise, uh, you know, fellowship with, they don't have that extra added thing of trying to write also. Uh, and so I don't think that they do understand, like Tyler mentioned, I'm not so sure that um, those parents would understand that I have been sitting on a couple of pieces that are just so raw, um, that are just so, uh, they're so horrific for me that I just haven't finished them. Uh, and, and the reason I haven't finished them is that fear. It's like, because you have to understand, okay, if this were a thing that comes to pass, even though it's like this very out there kind of horror, right? About like discarded spirits and sort of possession type stuff, you know, like I, I, I come to that as a, a parent whose child was uh, born with an app of zero. So Kiki has cerebral palsy um, and, uh, you know, she was basically born dead. I've always wondered what that means. I mean, she's always um, laughing and giggling, has the most wicked sense of humor like ever. And, and so I'm always telling her, girl, you need to tell your little friends to stay up there with you. Mommy don't want to talk to your friends <laughs> because I'm sure that she has some kind of tap outs and connections that I don't need to have and she can keep those. Um, but then I also worry about the way of the world right now. If I were to finish this novella and put it out there, I don't want uh, there to be, um, I don't want to be offensive to the dis uh, disabled community. Um, because even though I'm her advocate and we've been doing this for, she's she's almost 19, she'll be 19 in August. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm always gonna get all of it right. I don't want it to seem as if I am, uh, you know, glorifying, um, you know, her disabilities if I'm glossing over them. And so it's all those fears. So it's not just, oh my gosh, what would happen if this really wasn't my kid, but it was this actual spirit that's inhabiting her body. But there's also the larger fears of how are people gonna receive this? Are they gonna say that I don't have the authority to write about it? Are they going to say that, you know, I've co-opted her experience? Um, and those are things that I don't want to do. Uh, and so that keeps me from sharing certain pieces, from even finishing them. Um, I mean, I have a zombie story because anybody that knows me knows I have kids. They know about all of them. Uh, so they know about Kiki. It's not like never been this secret. Um, you know, and in my zombie story, it, I wrote it exactly how the nightmare came to me. That thing was so raw for so long that I would start to type it out and I'd burst into tears, close the computer and leave it. Um, and so... I think that that's a thing that comes, especially being horror writers. We're so used to using our writing as a sort of therapy. Um, that when it comes to this particular thing, I, I feel I feel sort of judged, and and it's probably just in my mind. 
other people probably wouldn't even blink about it. But I think about it constantly. Should I write this? I don't know if I should do that. This is so painful. What if they ask me questions? What if I have to read it out loud? Oh my gosh, what if they ask what the inspiration was? Do I really want to entertain that? Um, and so I just thought that it would be really good to fellowship with other parents who totally get that. Like, I'm not all duck out on that one. It's like, we all get that part. And that is just, I don't know if you all know how healing that has been in just these few minutes for me. So I appreciate that. In just these few minutes, I'm like, you know what? The crew is good. We're good. We'll be okay. <laughs> That's if anyone wants to, I feel like other people should talk right now. Okay, that, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just to add to that, there are other writers we could have had on or at least reached out to, and two that come to my mind is uh, R- Ronald Kelly and um, the Sisters of Slaughter, but. Once you get more than four or five people, it just, I don't know, me and Brenner are kind of a little iffy about going up to like the 10 people mark because it's just kind of a little bit chaotic. But my point is, is there's a lot of people in your guys' situation. So, Sina, I actually, uh, on top of why are you here, uh, I just finished Children of Chicago two days ago. And that, me seeing your, like, Posts about reception to Children of Chicago, about um, some people kind of getting upset that you're, in their words, making it seem like Chicago's worse than it is. Um, when you're clearly someone that knows what she's talking about, being a Puerto Rican female in Chicago her entire life, you know, um, you've seen your share of shit. So I think that parallels with what we're talking about. So if you're comfortable with it. Uh, I'd like to hear about not only why why are you here today, but your kind of parallel, in my words, paralleled experience with the reception of children of Chicago. Yeah. Um, so I like pe- children. I'm sure people either like really love children of Chicago or they really hate it, and they don't. Most I don't know. I mean, this is my experience. Children of Chicago was is my story and Lauren Medina is me, (laughs) you know, she's Um, a badass. I love that book, by the way. I mean, a lot of it speaks to my trauma growing up and having friends die and seeing death and not being able to protect people and just having people slip away from you and seeing good people do bad things and bad people do good things. And there's like no rhyme or reason. And at the end of the day, we're all just trying to survive. Um, and that's, that's, it's, you know, it's my story and it's a fairy tale. I still live here. Um, I still live in the same neighborhood I grew up in. Um, gangs, guns, drugs, teen pregnancies. I, I know it all. I've seen it all. My, I have friends and family who are in law enforcement, um, detectives, interrogators. So, I mean, this is the way, that's the way we talk. Like, I always love when people are like, the dialogue's not natural. And I'm like, have you been to Chicago? Because maybe the dialogue that you're listening to is maybe some rural community dialogue, but we don't talk the way some of these other people talk. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really defensive of my, about my work and I think everybody's going to be defensive about their work and, um, but it's a hard story. It's not a feel good 
wrap yourself in a with the warm blanket sort of story. So I, I understand that it, it might be a little abrasive and tough for people to to read. Um, and I'm gonna and now I'm totally okay with that. You don't have to love it. Like it's fine. Like you know, um, but it is my story. <laughs> you know, and I made it a horror story. Um, in terms of like my children, um, both of my boys are on the autism spectrum and I didn't know what autism, I mean, I'm sure all of us knew someone that was autistic or on the spectrum or something growing up, but we didn't call it that. Like it was always like a, I don't know. It was a different world. I'm 40 years old. Um, there's definitely more, um, awareness about these conditions today. I don't have a very supportive family. So when my son was diagnosed, everybody blamed us. They said that we were making things up and we were being neurotic and we weren't, they were going to grow out of it. And we were like, no, he's spinning in the kitchen for hours. We're not making it up. There's something wrong or they're screaming for hours and I hold them and they're biting me until they, I bleed. There's something wrong. Um, and it's been hard because it's been very isolating. We don't feel like we have the support from people. And I mean, that's okay. It's hard to, it's hard for us. I can imagine somebody outside that just wants to hang out with us or have the kids over. Like we can't just fit in at a birthday party. Um, it, it's not what I thought it would be. And, but I love them. I love them. I love them so much. And I mean, my, my mother is bipolar. My father's schizophrenic. I grew up with two people that had very intense mental issues and a lot of physical, mental, emotional abuse. And my promise to myself was, if I have children, I am going to love them no matter what. And like, every time I walk past my son, I always tell him, you're so smart you're so creative who loves you like i love you i need him to know and i want him to say that because i grew up in a household where i wasn't called smart i was called stupid i was called everything other than good and i didn't want them to feel hurt and i know my biggest worry is i know that once they get out of this house people aren't going to be as nice to them as I am. And I already see it with kids and bullying. And he's, my son has gotten, um, my son has gotten hit at school. Um, he's gotten bullied at school. And so it's, it's a big fear. Um, in terms of writing, I wrote a middle grade story that my agent is shopping around because my oldest son said that he didn't see kids like him in books. Like everything's like about autism or like accepting autism. But he's like, I want to see a character that's like me. So um, when my agent started trying to find comp titles, we couldn't find any comp titles. And it's like, well, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. These children should see themselves and they're valid. Um, and the sequel of Children of Chicago is going to deal a lot with my son. So it's going to have, um, an aut another autistic character and, but yeah, that's why I'm here. Um, I, and I, and I like this fellowship and this camaraderie before we started recording, we were all like, if a kid comes barreling and screaming, no one's going to blink on this conversation. And it happens like there's like, it's insane. It's, it's. And it's not like, I wouldn't be embarrassed with you guys, and I'm not embarrassed with work, but it's just, 
it's different. It's a different way of living, and a lot of people don't understand that. And to us, you hear them screaming, and you're just like, yeah, it's Clark. Just you know, he's frustrated, and he's gonna scream for an hour. <laughs> so, but nice to be here with you all. That's awesome. Thank you for being here, Cena. Um, Brennan, sir, can you please tell us why you're here? And why are you a guest? Why aren't you my co-host? <laughs> I'm just joking. You, you know what? Uh, well, first of all, I mean, I, I, I want to say, Cena, I'm, I'm just so in love with that answer where you talk about just wanting them to, you know, almost going overboard to be sure they know how much, you know, you love them for who they are. Um, that <laughs> that hit me, you know, real hard. I, I, I adore it. Um, the The short answer for why I'm here and why I'm a guest is, you know, it goes back to Tyler. Uh, originally, he threw out the idea uh, of this roundtable, and I, you know, I told him that I loved the idea because of my kids. And he said, you know, think about coming on as, you know, a panelist as opposed to just sitting around asking questions. And he had already, uh, you know, told me his story, told me Liam's story, and. I said, well, you know, my, my, my kids aren't, you know, it's, it's not like that. You know, I, I'm embarrassed to say, I don't want to say I turned it into a competition, but I said, I I thought, you know, I'm not going to have anything to, uh, throw out there because everybody else is, you know, has it so much harder than I do. Um, and it's, I, I, I still feel that way to a degree, but it's valid. Um, so much of what I deal with, uh, you know, day to day with those kids, it, it, it's different than everybody else's experience. Um, but that doesn't make it easy. And, you know, my, my, my poor wife would smack me. Uh, she, she'd, she'd kick that door down over there and she'd smack me if she even thought I was saying it was easy. Um, and she'd have every right to do so. Uh, so, you know, jumping back to the beginning, people who have listened to this show a lot, uh, they're probably used to me referring to my boys as, you know, my 10 year old and my eight year old. And I, I talked to them, I, I asked them, you know, is it okay for me to call you by name on the show? Would you like to make up a name for me to call you? And they both wanted, they both wanted the notoriety. Um, so my, my 10, uh, almost 11 year old, he'll be 11 this month. His name is Dallas. Uh, my eight year old is named Dustin and they're both autistic. Um, they were diagnosed. Dallas was diagnosed when he was, I believe five, uh, he had a diagnosis of apraxia of speech before then, and the telltale signs, you know, I, I don't want to say we ignored them, but medical professionals ignored them for us. Uh, they wanted to avoid putting that label on. And if we knew then what we do now, he would have been diagnosed earlier because he was, you know, he fit he fit it like a glove. Uh, and then Dustin was diagnosed when he was three. And uh, even though the uh, American Psychiatric Association kind of changed everything in 2013, so there is no, uh, you know, different, I guess, diagnoses. It's all under the spectrum now. Uh, the neurodevelopmental pediatrician that saw both of them 
was kind enough to tell us that, you know, Dallas would have been diagnosed with uh, PDD-NOS, which is pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. Um, it, as far as, and they, they, you know, lovely as it is, they apply like kind of a function level and uh, they, they kind of put him as moderate. Um, whereas Dustin would have been classified as having Asperger's, um, and been labeled high functioning. And we, we, you know, don't, we don't care for those terms, uh, applying a level of function to a human being is cruel at best. Um, but they're very different from each other and they're wonderful kids. Um, but I hear a lot of the same things that we've been through with them, in the stories I'm hearing from the other people. Um, at the moment, and for the foreseeable future, they're both homeschooled. Uh, Dallas is homeschooled because we had an incident in second grade. Um, he is, in addition to being autistic, he's also dyslexic. And the state we're in doesn't isn't legally required to recognize dyslexia on an IEP, so they wouldn't provide accommodations for it. So essentially, they what what they did is they put him in a smaller group, but they continue teaching him the same way, um, you know, and that's not going to work for anybody. If you're if you're teaching somebody a way that does not work for them that they don't understand, you can go one on one. It's still not going to be successful. Uh, and we had a lot of issues with, um, you know, uh, not just kids but staff bullying him and. A lot of it stems from the fact that when he was in second grade, he was verbal, but he wasn't he wasn't very verbal. Um, and he would come home and say, the teacher thinks I'm dumb or the teacher says I'm dumb. Um, and, it, you know, it's hard to put into words, but if there if there are people who can understand it, it's it's the four of you. When you know your kids capabilities and they say the teacher says I'm dumb you know this kid enough to know that he can't make that up. He can't conjure that out of thin air. Uh, whether it was something the teacher said directly or whether it was something that, you know, the teacher said when she thought he wasn't listening, he didn't make that word up. Um, and we ended up pulling him so that we, we, we fought the district for all we could, but we pulled him and we put him on uh, a reading program specifically for kids with dyslexia. And we watched him just absolutely shine. Um, He's, you know, in fifth grade now, he's reading at about the level of fifth grader. He was reading, you know, at low kindergarten at the end of second grade when we pulled him. Um, and then there's Dustin, who is just, he is one of the brightest people I know, and I'm including adults in that list. Um, he, uh, but he's also quirky. He's quirky. And even back in preschool, we were dealing with bullying issues. Uh, in first grade, he was bored with the work and he was beginning to be labeled a behavior problem because of it. He would finish his work and he would do what kids do when they finish their work. He would get bored. He would stand up. He would walk around. He would move because he can't sit still for two damn seconds. Um, and he would get in trouble. So... You know, I, I mentioned my wife had kicked down the door. She said we had it easy. We were very fortunate to be in a position where 
Uh, I was working two jobs at the time. I still am. I picked up more hours with my second. Uh, she quit her job and she stays home with them full time. And she is as dedicated a person as you could ever hope for the miracles she's worked with those kids to help them find success, to help them more, more than find success, to help them feel successful, to, to help them understand what they're good at. And that if something is hard for them, it's not because they're dumb. It's because their brain is wired a certain way that makes some things more challenging for them. Um, and if we can find a way to, that works for them individually, there's, there's nothing wrong with taking that route. And I've yapped on for like 10 minutes now, so I'm going to send it over to somebody else. I just want to hear one more thing that I find very fascinating because I know your family and one thing I think is okay to share the, I think it's Dustin that has this knack for us presidents. Is that him or is no, Dallas? That's, that's Dallas actually. Um, you know, and it's so it's so I guess what I think of as a a, a character of um, you know some autistic people. It, he he has a lot of trouble in some capacities. He's very bright, but he has a lot of trouble sharing what he knows. But uh, you can give him any year between 1790 and current, and he can tell you who was president in that year, <laughs> which. Blows blows my doors off all the time. <laughs> I couldn't even name without looking all the president. Some of them I don't remember. I mean, there's the obvious one. But that that's great. Now, who's president right now, Patrick? Come on, <laughs> a uh, a real uh, adult. That's not a fucking jackass. That's not a I'm racist asking piece for a of name. shit. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Joe Biden. Oh, there you go. Okay, good. And Camilla Harris is the VP. Nailed it. <laughs> And I like that you, you you highlighted that they're so different because they are. I have two on the spectrum, and I'm like, you each, it's so different. Like, even their sensory needs are very different. The One of them has to turn the lights off. The lights bother him. And it's like, every time, like you, you know where he's been throughout the house because the lights are being turned off throughout the house. So they all have their... their um, personalities so. now see and i wonder do you have do you ever have the two at odds with each other because you know uh of the sensory stuff where they you know maybe one needs to make noise to feel comfortable and the other wants to avoid noise something like yes, that and it becomes a huge fight and then the little one is still nonverbal. We're, we're waiting and to see if he develops speech but that it's just he has his speech like his sounds and we know what he's saying without saying words and then it'll become like this battle between like the three-year-old and the seven-year-old because the three-year-old wants to spin or stim and then the seven-year-old wants it silent. And so, um, but the, you know, it's like, the, and, and like you said, we don't say our kids' names um, because I don't want to do anything that would hurt them. But um, I'll say it here. Uh, my oldest son is Clark Kent and my other son is Bruce Wayne. Uh, we named them superheroes. So, uh, and, uh, but Bruce... Uh, he started to hit himself and like our Clark didn't have that but I know some kids on the spectrum have that and so Bruce has developed uh, hitting himself on the head and so it's having to pull him away to not hurt himself um, I mean Clark when Clark was little like I said he would 
hit and bite me until I bled. I had to have an occupational therapist show me how to like pull his jaw off of me because he would lock his his mouth on me and it was just like you're sitting here and your child's biting you and you can't do anything because you feel for them and they're overwhelmed with stimulation and 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 Brennan I I just have to say I am so sorry that your children experienced that it, it like it just gutted me to hear that I just the world my biggest fear is everything outside the house for them because people are just so cruel and that's yeah, what's yeah. scary yeah. yeah, and you know my my biggest takeaway from that is yeah it, it it sucked and it's it's terrible for people whether it's you know preschoolers or adults who sh- who who should know better, um, but it's that they're in a good place now and I don't know what the future holds for them I don't know when we'll put them back in school frankly with what homeschooling curriculum uh, looks like these days I don't know if we'll put them back in school but um it's they're they're doing well right now, and that's the you know most I could ask for. That um, just the sensory stuff made me think of something. <laughs> he uh, gift that Mercedes got my little guy, which were these awesome lights, and they lit up when water entered them, and um, we'd shut the lights off and put the you know put them in the tub, and he played with them. But she, you told me that your son loves those too. I'm curious if you got anything to add to that. I don't really know what kind of question to ask, but it just jumped in my mind, and I'm like, maybe you got something to add about that, like you know, toys that have sensory things. Because I'm a, I'm a new dad, so I never even thought of that kind of thing before. Before you introduce that to me, Mercedes. Well. My son really, he hits himself too. And he does all the, the sensory things and he likes a lot of noise. Like he likes, uh, he'll, his iPad will be on, his computer will be on, the keyboard will be on. And it's these excruciating, they're not calming, but to him, they're calming. But, um, he likes a lot of lights. Lights seem to comfort him. So, um, those blocks and their blocks that when you throw their little, you know, blocks, when you throw them in the water, they, they, they light up. We really like this light that is like a $30 night light that like shines around his room and he disassembles everything. So he'll disassemble it, but you'll still have this like light, but he likes that or he likes things that will move in, you know, kind of hopefully a calming way. Like his room makes my mind, I can't be in his room for long. Like it just, it blows my mind. But that's what he wants. He wants these, you know, seven different noises all at the same time. And if you change it, he'll change it right back. So, so it's very comforting to him. But, but yeah, like the lights, and he does well with a weighted blanket. Like I do well. Like my blanket on my bed is a weighted blanket. He likes that security. When he was younger, um, we'd have those vests. If you guys have ever had the weighted vests, that just kind of. And when he would freak out, we would always kind of wrap, wrap our arms around him and move our heads because he'd do this and like bloody my nose all the time. Like I spent a lot of time with a bloody nose and bloody mouth when he was little because he doesn't, didn't know how to hold back. You know, these kids don't know how to hold back. Um, but the comforting and the, the weight and the security, those are all things that have really helped him. But I mean, when you have a kid on the, on the spectrum in any way, you learn like every trick out there, you know, you will find parents that'll be like, hi, I don't know you, but I see that your kid's acting up and this is what works for me, you know? And, and you'll find that people are really people that are, that, that have that in their, in their family and their children, 
are super helpful. And like, you know, they're the ones that are like, you know, looking you in the eyes and like, I've got you, you're fine. Your kid can act up on the plane and we support you. It's, it's the ones that just kind of aren't familiar that make you feel like your kid's an alien and isn't allowed to exist. And I, one of my concerns is with like the pandemic where kind of people have let their ugly show. I have been so upset to see how many people are like willing to let my kid die because they're not, you know, worthwhile or how many people have expressed, you know, oh, well, we should let the elderly and the ill die. And I'm like, you don't have a child that has struggled like my child has. And it shows and, and it's ugly. Your ugly is coming out. So that's been really hard for me. And I kind of interested in how you guys have dealt with that because I'm finding myself getting really hard and I don't want to be hard, but I'm finding myself getting very visceral at, you know, people that are like, eh, (laughs) you know, So honestly, I'm not afraid to get hard. I mean, it is what it is. I think people expect me to be angry anyway. I'm going to give it to you, Um, you know, because Kiki is, uh, she has impaired swallowing. And so she's fed with a G-tube. And any kind of a respiratory infection, I mean, thankfully, I I realize how, how lucky we are that she's relatively healthy as a horse, despite her disabilities. Okay. But... The last time uh, she was hospitalized was because of a flu-like virus. And so anytime she gets anything that has these secretions, she can't swallow them. There's always a danger of choking, aspiration. So when this thing hit, um, we all pulled up at the house. um, And I literally just don't take her anywhere. Um, I've had it out with the school. She's in a transitional program. Uh, She did come out of high school uh, last June. Uh, and so she's in an adult transitional program because she's only 18. So she'll probably be there until she's 21. Um, she's done that virtually uh, for this whole school year. Um, so I have a house full of other kids, a whole bunch of other kids. And so unfortunately, I had to send them back to school. But we had to sort of isolate here at home. And I've had to, had to explain to them, I haven't even gotten her the vaccine because I'm concerned about taking her out to do it. I'm concerned about if she has side effects. So our game plan here is to have all the rest of us be vaccinated and then try to see what we have to do from there. Um, so I don't worry about getting hard. Like, that's just it. I mean, I, 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 it's admirable that you, you don't, you, you may not have to, Mercedes, uh, but I mean, I, I am willing to fight and just say to people, that's stupid. You don't care about my kid. I don't expect you to care about my kid, about my kid but that doesn't mean we have to deal with you either. Uh, you can't come to my house. No. Nope. I mean, most friends and family get that, but yeah, they're not coming in our houses. Um, I've had to take her out, um, I want to say twice. Once was for her graduation ceremony, uh, and I battled with that. But it was an outdoor stadium. Uh, it was huge. There was the social distancing, and her little buddy that she's been in classes with this whole time was there, was going to be there also. And I thought, okay, I can't take that from her but i mean we literally did a they push her across the stage they bring her back to the field house i go and get her we literally did that that's exactly that's exactly what we did um and then i had to take her because there's this weird stuff about well you have to have a physical before they'll authorize your therapies and i was like y'all really gonna make me take her out of the house just to go see if she's done this virtually 
what's going to really change and okay, fine, whatever. If something happens to her, there will be smoke in the city, but I'll take her fine. Um, so now I'm battling with the school because they're saying that virtual is not going to be um, op- um, you know, offered. And she really needs this program, not just for her education, but mostly her socialization. Um, and so I don't want her cut off from that. And, and I'm already geared up. I already told the teacher, okay, if this is how they're going to play it. Okay. Okay. You want me to send her? Okay. But explain to me how you're going to keep um, a child whose bibs you have to change. Uh, you have to change her bibs. How are you going to keep, what if she gets the virus and she's going to give it to her other colleagues? What are you going to do about that? Like, how are you going to keep them from sharing toys? Because this is what they do, right? That's like, you, you're you going to have to take on this responsibility if you're insisting that she has to be there. Um, and so when it comes to other people, they're not wearing the mask or they have a look. Because I live in Texas, right? And that's probably all I have to say to y'all for y'all to understand what I'm dealing with. <laughs> and I'm in the burbs in Texas. It's not like I'm in my hood in Houston. No, I'm in the burbs. And so I'm surrounded by people who don't want to wear masks. They're talking about open this stuff up. And I have absolutely no problem with saying to them, you know, you're selfish. You're a waste of skin, whatever. Thankfully, I don't get confronted a lot. So, you know, there's a time when, you know, being that middle aged, you know, black woman who you can only see her eyes anyway over the mask. There's times when that comes in handy. So, you know, thankfully, I haven't had to call a lot of folks out. But when I do, I do. Um, Because the reality is nobody. I don't think that other people think about us and our families. They don't think about our kids. You know, I also have a mother who's like 70. She'll be 72 this year, you know, and she's really healthy as a horse. But I mean, my thing is, you're still 72, mama. And like, you know, she still walks three miles every day. And I'm like, okay, you need to like get a bike for inside. And she was willing to do all of that. So I'm like, the rest of y'all need to think about this. Like, it's not just you and what you see. Like, there are other people around here that you should probably consider. And so um, I think it's unfortunate uh, that they don't think about us because anything like that would would be deadly for her. Um, but but you know I I don't know that it's unfortunate. I don't expect everybody else to really care about that because they don't. They really don't. And unfortunately, like Rhonda said, I'm already kind of hardened. Um, and I don't. I mean, for other reasons. And I don't. I don't want. I don't want anybody to like be like me. I, I think the the edge that I live with is not healthy. And so I'm sorry, Mercedes, that you you are feeling that because it's it's heavy. It's heavy, especially when you want to focus on your son and and be to be loving. But um I, I I'm already when I'm I mean I think I'm a different persona than I'm on Twitter. Uh, then I'm probably here. I'm here on the streets <laughs> at home because I will tell someone get the hell away from my kid, you know. And I, I told my brother something really not worded it really strongly because he was wasn't wearing a mask and he was getting close to my children. I was like, I don't know what this is going to do to them, and they are going to wear masks. Like they, you know, I don't want to risk anything with with them. We just don't know. Um, but I mean, any, like I've just been hardened overall my entire life, and then after having them, I just became like a completely different <laughs> level of hardened because I have to protect them. And people are crazy. People are really crazy, 
Um, I mean, any parent has to protect their children, but our, to, you know, we have, our children are in vulnerable populations. They are, I mean, you know, I, I care so much about these because like I, my original PhD, I was doing a PhD in Hispanic literature. I dropped out of that PhD and the PhD I'm doing now that I'm finishing is um, in psychology and it's in business psychology. And my entire dissertation is how can we get people on the spectrum that are employable employed because I want to do something for their future. Um, you know, this is one of the biggest um, populations that that's it's, it's a big population that's exploding and they don't have services or services for them when they're young. But what do we do for these kids when they turn into teens and adults? So, I mean, it's only, you know, and not just on the spectrum, but other disabilities as well. I'll stop talking. I want to hear Tyler. Tyler's been quiet. <laughs> uh, in answer to your question, Mercedes, um, so like I mentioned, Liam, Liam is nonverbal, so he, he can't speak. He's never spoken. Uh, and because of that, I've always my wife and I has always have always seen ourselves not only as as his advocate to physicians or to teachers, but his advocate to the public, to people that we meet in a grocery store. And so it's something that's always been in the back of my mind that if I see somebody staring at him with a disgusted look, because like Kiki Rhonda, you know, he has bibs, he has the same swallowing issues. He has a G tube. He, you know, a lot of, lot of suctioning, um, cause he just can't manage his secretions, which leads to a lot of respiratory issues. Um, but when I, when you see people staring, um, just, you can see the look on their face. Like you said, their uglies coming out. They, there's not even an effort to mask it. There's this little voice in the back of my head that says, you are his advocate. How would Liam treat that person? And Liam has expressed, um, so he's an incredibly intelligent young man. Um, he communicates with facial expressions, so he has expressions for yes and no. Um, and he's also learning how to use an eye gaze communication device, which is basically a commu uh, computer on his wheelchair that in his eyes are the mouse. And it moves, he moves over a communication board and picks words. So he's, he has the ability, it's just really difficult to use, but he's learning. So I know his personality and I know who he is and he is not ashamed of his disability and he wants people to know. And so I, I suddenly become uh, protective in a different way that please God, don't let me get in the way of him shining the light that is him to the people around. Don't let my frustration or anger diminish what he's, what he's doing. And that's, that's why I love kids. Because little kids, they just walk right up and they're like, what's wrong with him? And I'm like, let me tell you. <laughs> he has a disability called cerebral palsy. And Liam is all about that. So every year at school, um, we would, uh, his, his mom and I will go into the classroom and we'll, we'll have a big board. And we, it's full of pictures of him, things he likes, things he likes to do. And we do a presentation to his class all about his disability. And he loves it because he want, it's so obvious that he's disabled and he wants kids to know, here's who I am. And it's this opportunity to teach them, here's a human being. So like I do this, I do this uh, little experiment with the kids. So after we talk about his disability, I say, okay, now everybody, I want you to sit really still. Don't move. And nobody say a word. 
Now imagine you can't move and you can't speak. Do you still love the people you love? Do you still like all the same things you like? You know, and then you see all these, you know, fourth, fifth graders are like, yeah, like you're still who you are, right? So th- th- with Liam's disability, that's, that's what it's like. There's still this, j- a kid just like you, just, he just can't move or speak. Um, and that, Brandon, I, I so admire your decision to keep your kids home. And so what I'm about to say is in no way a reflection on that. Cause so it's important to us that Liam is in school and that's because I want kids, it's not for his socialization so much as it is for them. Because I have this strong belief that I've asked myself this question, how does a person become compassionate? Why do we expect compassion from people who have maybe been beat down their whole lives, who have never met anybody who has a disability? And we're like, why aren't you compassionate? Why don't you understand? And it dawned on me, like, maybe I'm expecting things from people who just don't have, they don't know. It's an, it's an education, like a, a spiritual education that they have not gone through. So having Liam in school, I have seen kids drawn to him and it has just blown our minds. Like you will find these, the kids who are bullied, the kids who have rough home lives, they find this, this non-judgmental kid who just listens to them when they tell their problems or what they're afraid of. He loves them unconditionally, you know, he'll hold their hand and make them feel loved. And it's important to me because as these kids go through life, I hope that someday when they're adults, they'll look back at Liam and they'll remember, you know, if they see another kid in a wheelchair, they'll be like, I went to school with a kid like that. That was Liam. He was a cool kid. He loves SpongeBob and ACDC, you know? So, uh, it's a, it's a hard balance though. I get it. I, I feel the same thing in my heart and I just try to get out of the way as much as I can and advocate. My wife and I, we use the term ambassador, that we are his ambassadors as best as we can be. It doesn't mean we're always successful, of course, but boy, we try. Uh, Brennan, it's your turn, but I just want to jump in one point because uh, you said a lot of smart things, Tyler. So I'm just going to stick to one thing. You said when they become adults, I want them. Uh, God damn it, man. You guys are making me want to cry. Uh, Tyler, you said that when those kids who saw your son become adults, they want to remember him. There are two kids like that from my past in middle school. They were both on the spectrum. One was verbal. One was not. I'm 32. I'm never going to forget them. I remember their names. I don't. My, my mom and dad called me up, and they're still back in my home's my hometown of Massachusetts. I'm down here living my life. And they're like, hey, you remember this guy? I don't remember most people. Those two I will never forget. So I hope that, not only hope, but I, I know you're right. And it's probably the same for everyone's kid here. So that's all I got to add. Brennan, go ahead, buddy. I, I don't know what question I'm answering at this point, but I'm going to go ahead and respond uh, to Tyler. Mer- no, it's Mer- okay. Um, so, you know, Ty- Tyler mentioned, you know, being an ambassador and, uh, you know, the importance of having Liam in school to really just kind of 
I don't. I think I'm putting words in your mouth, but develop empathy in the in the kids around in the next generation, and I think that's so important. And you know, one thing we haven't touched on yet, and I, I think you're you're all going to agree, but I, I believe my kids have made me a better person. Um, I believe that when you are, when when kids like this are your responsibility, when it's your job to raise them in a cruel world where people are showing their uglies and they absolutely are um you can't help but develop empathy and you know even though <laughs> i don't know how much you know having them in school would necessarily you know help develop you know the empathy of other children there are you know programs that um the you know, the CPAC, the, uh, I'm trying to think of what it's an acronym for special education parent advisory council puts together, uh, in the vein of what you and your wife do, Tyler, uh, to, you know, teach neurotypical children, um, about, you know, the kids they go to school, uh, with who are autistic. Um, what my kids have done for me, I had to get a master's degree in education because uh, if you don't do that within five years of getting hired, uh, they kick you out the back door. But I ended up, you know, so I, I went into a program for music education, uh, but I ended up being able to develop a focus in that on teaching uh the, the focus is really teaching music to autistic people, but it branched out to people with, you know, all sorts of disabilities, both children and adults. Uh, one, one point Cena made earlier is uh, developing programs for autistic adults. It is definitely uh, a developmental disorder that a lot of people attribute to children, and you, you just assume, <laughs> people just assume that kids grow out of it and and they don't they're uh, they're autistic adults all over the world and maybe they weren't diagnosed when they were children because the criteria was different or because it just <laughs> uh they were told that they would grow out of it or they were told to stop spinning in the kitchen and uh they were put in time out until they did um and then they just lived with that discomfort i don't know there's a lot of different ways but uh you know i was able to spend uh you know, an entire master's degree writing research papers and, you know, studying and learning so much uh, and, and, and interviewing people with, you know, aut autistic adults um, to find out successful experiences they had in school and specifically in music programs, what to do, what not. Um, I run professional development in my district now uh, to showcase what I've learned. It is unbelievable and bordering on embarrassing how little uh professional some professional educators know about working with students on the autism spectrum and you can't even hold them accountable because the professional development just it, it, it it's not required at the bachelor's or even the master's level and the you know state doesn't provide it um and without my children i don't go down that route and you know i don't do my damnedest to become myself the teacher that I wanted my kids to have and help other teachers kind of go that same route. I remember um, when Clark was diagnosed with uh, autism spectrum and I remember asking the psychiatrist, like, will he ever, will he go to high school? Will 
what does his future look like? And they just say, I don't know. Like they, they just don't know. They can't tell us anything. And I remember coming home and I think sitting in the dark for days and crying because I didn't know where he would fall on the spectrum. I didn't know what his future would look like. But uh, just last week or last week or the two weeks ago, Bruce was diagnosed and um, the psych- psychiatrist was like, do you have any questions? And we're like, nope, we got it. <laughs> like it was such a different kind of like, like we know it and it's not scary anymore. I mean, it is, it's, it's, we're like walking into this whole unknown together. And I feel like I can do anything because of them. Like they make me such a, they've made me such a better person. And I am, even, even though I'm hardened, I mean, they have softened me in a way I've, I've never thought would even be possible. Like, you know, I will be in the grocery store and they need to stim or spin. I'm like, let's go for it. I don't care. I don't care if people are looking at us. I don't care if we're babbling because Bruce, that's how he talks. And we're just talking back to him. Like, I don't care about the world around us judging us. I mean, I do and I don't. Like, it used to really bother me, like, this whole image I thought I wanted to portray as a mom, but I don't care if I go out looking a certain way or we look, you know, really nuts. And I mean, Bruce likes to have dolls and pigtails and wild colors. And I just let him be and express himself. And they have made me such a better person. I am so thankful for them. And I feel like, I mean, even my writing, I am a different kind of writer because of them and the stories I want to tell are so different because of them. I think, you know, my writing was going one way, um, you know, children of Chicago is still probably, um, maybe an offshoot of a story that I just needed to tell, um, because of my anger and growing up, but all of my other body of work, it's, it's, you know, it's sorrow and magic and, you know, defeating dragons and all of these, like, I mean, just the ideas they come up with. Like, what my son asked me if concrete dragons are real. Like, do dragons, and like his imagination talking about, like, mom, can you see a dragon coming up from the cement sidewalk? I can see it. And it's just like, where does this come from? This is amazing. Um, I love them. And they've made me a better person, so... I just want to throw yeah. it out there that uh, the character that Cena based off of herself, yeah, she's hard and she's a bad bitch, but you can tell that inside that hard shell is a gooey person that wants to be loved and has a lot to love the show. They just, their surroundings is very, very tough, so you can't show that to just anyone. Um, Ron, yeah. Ron, I cut you off. I'm sorry about that. Go oh, ahead. Yeah, no, no, no worries. Um, I mean, well, just to kind of piggyback off, I mean, what everybody is saying, um, kids are never the problem, right? Other kids. I mean, Kiki is a rock star. At Kiki is nonverbal. She, um, you know, doesn't. We're just now getting to where she's actually interested in using switches, uh, you know, just to make simple choices or say yes and no. Um, but, you know, kids have never been problem like she's always surrounded by lots of other kids they love her wheels you know it's like there's bright purple you know we always have glitter all over everything um you know so she always has tons of friends she always has it's the grown-ups that are the absolute worst and i think that 
and Sam dealing with other adults where I have been made more aware because even with um, her being disabled, there's also intersections here. We have the race dynamic to deal with. We have the gender dynamic to deal with. Um, and so some of my worst experience ever have been with other adults. Um, I'll never forget, um, I haven't always been as crusty uh, as I am now, uh, but one of the things that, that really was hurtful um, my uh, three, uh, so I have four biological kids and then I have a nice huge blended family. Well, when my bios were small, so Kiki was about, uh, she must've been about four. And so my other daughter is about 17 months younger than her. And then I was pregnant with my, my baby number left. And so I'm pushing this double stroller with two little girls in it already. I mean, with two of them. And then I have this huge belly. I was always a huge pregnant woman. And uh, the first husband that I had, who is, uh, you know, has long been a husband, he's gone. He's in the rear view. He was never around. And so it was always me with my big belly, my two kids. Uh, before um, we could uh, get Kiki uh, fitted for a wheelchair, the double stroller works fine. It didn't give her all the support she needed, but she was, um, she has high muscle tone. And so her toes used to point like this. And so she was going through this process called serial casting, where they would put cast on her feet and they, they would slightly bend her feet and then they'd cast them up for about six weeks. They'd take the cast off, slightly bend them again to kind of try to get that 90 degree angle. So she has these two bright pink casts on and she's in the wheelchair. And these other black women of all the demographic that could have been, they're walking and they're walking by shaking their heads, sucking their teeth and saying, that's a damn shame that they let her have more babies. She broke both of those, that baby. And when I say I couldn't do anything but stand in that mall and cry, because I was like, you don't even know, um, you know, and because she, uh, when she was a baby, she was a huge baby. She was full term. She was like eight pounds, 15 ounces when she was born. And so she's this big, huge baby with all this hair. People used to think she looked like a baby doll until they got closer and they see that she's holding her head back because she couldn't hold it up. And, you know, we couldn't always keep her head from falling, although we had a good grasp on her. And so I'd have other women coming up, don't let that baby hang her head back. Right. And so I'm having to say to them, ma'am, because I'm again, I'm Southern. These are older black women. And I'm going, you don't know how harmful you're being right now, but you don't even know. You don't know me. You don't know my baby. Um, it's always the grownups, right, that you have to kind of stand up in front of. I had a doctor. Uh, her eyes were crossed when she was born. And so the, the, the doctor is a brilliant eye surgeon here in the Houston area. Um, but he said to me when I said, oh, well, she's getting vision therapy. He goes, why? It's such a waste. And the moment I thought, okay, I'm going to let you work on her eyes because you're a brilliant surgeon. But after that, we fired him from the team. Um, and they, they know me as that mom that's like, look, this is my kid. She has value. Um, you can look at her and see a black female presenting body and think it's worthless if you want to. But she has very high value. Um, so I'm quick to look. If you're not on Team Kiki, you got to go. You got to go. Uh, you know, so it, it, it's it's the grown-ups, right? Um, I remember a nurse in their elementary school was always concerned. Again, these race dynamics. The nurse was a black woman who was always saying to me, uh, sending notes on saying, well, her hair isn't combed. Well, Kivana doesn't like anybody touching her head. 
right? Even now she wears like this sort of a mohawk thing where, you know, we cut the sides really short. The top is super curly and she allows me to do that, right? She doesn't want to wear headbands. She doesn't want to barrette. She doesn't want to wear any earrings. Um, and so this nurse is actually talking to me about her hair is not cold. And so I go up to the school. I take her a comb and a brush. I take her hair grease and rubber bands. I say, you comb it. Uh, let's, let's just see. You do it. Because I'm concerned about other things. But like, how did her feeding go today? Like, what kind of equipment do you have in the classroom here for her? Now, by the time we ended that stand and moved out of that uh, school, the nurse and I had come to a, a sort of an agreement. It's like, you're worried about the wrong thing. Why are you worried about the politics of this little black girl's hair when I'm concerned about the politics of her education? Like, can you just do what you're supposed to do? Stay in your lane. Uh, and so it's the grown-ups. Uh, by the time she left that school, every single device that was in that room was for her. Because I was a housewife in that first life. And so I told him, I have time. I have nothing better to do but to come up here every single day and look and see what y'all are talking about. What are you talking about? What are you doing? Why are you worried about this? What are you? Don't, don't, don't play with me like that. <laughs> and so it's, it's always been kind of this battle. I mean, but there's also these other dynamics to it, right? So like in the Black community, there's, um, I know that her, her biological father had uh, a really hard time uh, with her disability. He never quite understood um, that she wasn't going to grow out of any of it, right? And, and I can't blame him for that. I can blame him for a bunch of other stuff, but not that, right? He just was very ignorant to how these things go. Um, but that was one of the things that uh, unfortunately led to, um, you know, a, a, a marriage that was already so fractured that it was beyond repair. Like that was the end of that. Right. Because there were all these cultural things, these ideas about, well, you know, I'm supposed to have, you know, strong children. And then it didn't help that I had a miscarriage after her. Right. And so that kind of sort of just crushes your whole everything. And I mean, he just really didn't deal with it well. So then I'm presenting as a mother who decides to have more kids. And then people are saying, well, why did you have more kids after her? Why don't you get out of my business? Like, why are you worried about that? Like, I'm glad to have her. Uh, you know, but having to do that, presenting as a single mom, but not really being a single black mom, that did a whole number on me, too, was like, OK, so where's her dad and why would you have other kids? And why would you, you know, like I had a C-section with her and he wouldn't take off work um, afterwards to kind of help me heal. But she was still in NICU uh, for like five weeks. Um, and so I literally the day after I had to leave her there in the hospital, I drug myself up and we drove this big old huge truck as people in Texas do. I climbed up in the truck, holding my stitches together, and I drove myself to the hospital to see my baby every single day. Um, but I knew that the doctors didn't want to deal with me on that level, right? So there's also those dynamics. It's like, okay, but this is my child and you can't keep me out of here. Yes, of course, I pumped for her. I breastfed my first kid. I'm going to pump for her. Okay, so we have to put it in a tube. And so, and so what? Like, this is what, this is my kid. So it's always the grownups and there's, and there's even still those racial and cultural dynamics, um, you know, that I know I personally have had to deal with. It's like in, you know, the black community, there are some people who just feel like, you know, all of this is so wasteful and why would you continue to, to do, why would you do this? Um, you know, so it's, it's always the grown-ups. The kids are great. They're awesome. They'll ask what they want to know. And when you tell them, they kind of go, okay. <laughs> but the grown-ups, they can be really serious asshats. And so they have been the most hurtful 
like in this whole thing is like other grown-ups and just don't get it i'm curious to know um like for all of you and just like listening to Rhonda's story and everyone's story like what do you do today to take care of yourselves because you're always taking we're always taking care of them like and i know writing isn't i know we all write and we all escape to write but beyond that like is that is writing a way of taking care of yourself do you i know we don't we, we none of us have a lot of time in a day because we're always taking care of them but are are you taking care of yourself and if so how no no <laughs> i'm not no i'm taking care of of three kids you know and uh that's all i do i feel like there's there's always all this stuff under the surface that people don't understand like um my son just turned 18, right? A month ago. And he's still, he's very, very young emotionally. He still calls, you know, mommy. He still calls daddy, but he's legally an adult now. And so I, I feel like all of my time is making sure that he's not doing something he could get arrested for as an adult or, or things like our neighbor keeps wanting to send her daughter over to play with my daughter. And number one, we're not having anybody in the house because you know, the, the whole pandemic and my, my children are fragile. Um, and I finally had to sit my neighbor down and say, listen, I've said, no, your daughter can't come over. You don't understand. Let me explain why. When my son goes to the bathroom, sometimes he will just go walk to the bathroom and start taking his clothes off on the way to the bathroom. Right. And we've told him, but he just doesn't understand privacy. He doesn't understand. You need to close the bathroom door first. If your daughter's there and my son takes his clothes down in front of her, that's going to be traumatizing for all of us. I'm not going to put my son in that position. I'm not going to put my, your daughter in that position. Please do not send your daughter over. When I feel like I should just be able to say, no, please don't send your daughter over. And now I'm like, he's 18 years old. It's a bigger deal than it was when he, you know, no, I don't take care of myself. All of my time is spent just, go, just going around every single aspect of our lives. I mean, I bought a new lipstick. I put lipstick on today. I guess that's it. I guess that's it. You look you know? beautiful. Thank you. I know. I understand. I told, I'm i with you. I am with you. Like, I mean, Bruce puts everything in his mouth. It's like my biggest fear is that he's going to choke on something like pencil, erase, anything, anything like nails. I found nails and tacks and pencil erasers, anything. Cause he has pica. Is that how you say pica, pica. And so it's always, I'm always picking stuff up off the floor. And so I'm sorry. Don't you kind of feel like all the people that are like, oh, self-care, it's so important. And I'm like, well, aren't you privileged to have a second to do self-care? We're just not at that stage right now, you know, and it's been 18 years and we haven't been at that stage. At some point, maybe that stage will come. But I, I feel I feel resentful of people that are like, oh, I just need to settle down, calm down and take care of yourself more. And I'm like, are you going to watch my kids for, you know, are you are you going to take care of my kids so we can do that? It's it's, it's It runs us ragged. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't change it because I love my kids and I love my son, but I just, you know, that just calm down and self-care. And I'm like, we're just not at that. We can't do that yet. I wish that would be great. From all your experiences and stories so far, it sounds like every adult's vet, not every, but a lot of adults are very pompous and, uh, uh, presumptuous. And that's, that says a lot about a lot of scenarios, but in this one particular, I mean, I hope people are listening to this episode when it airs and they just hear your guys' story and change a few lives because, like, 
Tyler, I said you're the one that started this episode. Without you bringing it to Brian and Maya's attention, we would have reached out to Cena and Ronda um, and Mercedes. And Mercedes was the one that inspired you to do it, like to reach out to us. And then, you know, it's a domino effect. Um, when we announced that we were doing this, there were a bunch of other people that could relate. So I don't know really where I'm going with this besides I appreciate you guys telling your stories. I'm learning a lot. It's a lot of sad stuff. I mean, I kind of <laughs> want to cry over it because it's oh, the short-tempered Irish guy in me just wants to punch everyone that makes your kids <laughs> upset. You find time to write, honestly. Yeah. How the hell do you guys write? It's a sacrifice. Like my husband has to watch both of them, and then when I relieve him, my husband's like, fr- like he's. It looks like a war zone because he's been attacked and his he's frazzled and he his. I mean, you can't get mad at them. They do. It's a lot, especially with two on the spectrum with very different sensory needs. And so he's just, he's, my husband sacrifices a lot of himself. He's a really good guy. Um, that's awesome. That You're lucky. You both are lucky to have each other. Um, hey, I want to jump in real quick on um, what both Cena and Mercedes were talking about, the this, this self-care thing. And it goes also back to, I don't know, eight questions ago we brought up, do they make us better people? <laughs> so, <clears throat> Mercedes, when you're talking about the, the no, you don't have time for self-care, but you wouldn't change it. I think that's such a fascinating concept because, and I think it ties into how have we changed and become better because of our kids. It seems that we as parents of kids with disabilities have confronted what um, our shadow selves that inside of all of us, there is this shadow self that is the selfish, that I want what I want. It's the, it's the liar. It's the thief. It's the addict. It is the person inside us that we try to avoid. And all the adults that we're talking about, they're revealing their shadow selves to us and how they treat our children. If you can place value on a human life, whether it's disabled or not, there's something wrong with you, not with the other person, obviously. So we have cultivated this sense of self that is constantly dying to self, that is constantly giving. And it's. I think that there is in some way by being emptied, we're filled in a way that's different than the self-care that we might think of as, you know, oh, I'm going to sit in a bathtub with a glass of wine, you know, and, and listen to jazz. Like that would be great self-care, but I don't have time for that. But it, in some other, maybe deeper, more meaningful way, and it looks different by giving, we're, by just emptying ourselves for our kids, we're filled up in a way that's more, I don't know, longer lasting maybe i don't know but it it it's uh it's a it's a remarkable thing to have the opportunity to face the shadow self in us and and to be confronted with our selfishness and sometimes you know you just want to be selfish i just want what i want i don't want to i don't want to deal with that i don't want to deal with you or anything i just want to uh. but we have to confront that and in the process what do we do sacrifice so how do you not become better humans in the process 
you know, and it's painful and, and yet we're all doing it and we're all here. So with all the sad stuff, Patrick, real quickly, I want to tell you a story that's going to make you smile. So when, when Liam was, um, a few years back, he was, he was in school and he made a really good friend in class. Um, for the sake of the story, we'll call her Nora and Nora loved Liam and she was a typical, typical little girl. And she would spend time with him every recess at class. She'd want to sit next to him, read to him. And, um, my wife volunteered in the class a few times. So she met Nora. She knew who she was. Well, Liam got really sick. He got pneumonia, ended up in the hospital. It usually happens about once a year. He ends up in the hospital for, for a while, um, some worse than others. So he was out of school for about a month. And um, around the time he got home, my wife was at the grocery store and she saw Nora walking with her mom. And so uh, my wife said, hi. And uh, Nora's mom said, oh, you're, you're Liam's mom. Nora talks about him all the time. She's written songs about him. She draws pictures about him, stories about him. Um, <laughs> and my wife said, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you, you've never met him. Do you want to see a picture of him? So she pulls up a picture on her phone and here's this little boy in a wheelchair. Obviously disabled. And Nora's mom goes, oh my God, when did this happen? Is this why he missed school? And my wife is like, no, he's, he was born disabled. He's always been in a wheelchair. And this woman's jaw just dropped. And she goes, Nora never said anything. And all the time she's talked about Liam, the stories, the songs, she never, she talked about Liam likes this. Liam and I do this at school. Never once mentioned that he was a kid in a wheelchair who couldn't speak. Like, it, unbelievable, you know, what, what having our children in the world does. And maybe it's on a small scale. Maybe it's not the nuclear love bomb that we want, you know, where everybody just miraculously understands this is what life is about. This is existence. It's, it's loving those. It's loving our kids. It's loving each other. Um, but I, I love that story because of what it demonstrates that it, we <laughs> get them when they're young <laughs> before they turn into assholes. <laughs> Man, I've recorded 96 episodes and I've never teared off you asshole. I love you though. <laughs> that is a Marv. That's a magnificent story. Yeah. But kids are so great. I mean, it's, um, they're great. And, 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 and I agree with a lot of people here that the adults, are sometimes not so nice. I know we've had experiences with children bullying too, but then where do they learn? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you talk about self-care, Cena. Um, and I'm not, um, I'm not going to say that I'm an old chick, but I'm an old chick. Oh, <laughs> I'm probably the oldest one here. I would venture to say uh, one thing that I have had to learn how to do is I, I am surrounded by this fabulous village. Um, you know, so my mother is still uh, very helpful with all the kids. Um, she cares for Kiki sometimes when I have stuff to do. Um, my sister uh, happens to be a nurse, but she also has always helped with all the kids. Um, one thing that I had to learn, especially when my first marriage imploded, 
which it was it was terrible like from the beginning so it's not like you know it was this very tone thing anyway like that was one of those man why did I do that but then I wouldn't have my kids and whatever we're just gonna leave it in the real view but um one of the things that I did have to learn as I started to get a little bit older uh was that I I couldn't be the best mommy um to any of them unless I found time to to take care of myself in some kind now, now, I know that as women, we tend to, uh, you know, skip out on doctor's appointments. We tend to not do stuff. Um, I was not even, um, every time somebody would ask me how I was doing, especially when they were little, I was so worried that they would try to take them from me that I would always go, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm fine. And come to find out, I've been dealing with uh, generalized anxiety and depression my whole life. Like, not just then, but my whole life. Postpartum depression, I'm thinking it's brief. Postpartum depression. I had it with the first kid too, um, and so I didn't. Um, I didn't have any uh, understanding of what might happen until I started to fear for, especially Kiki, and I started to think if something happened to me, what would happen to her? And so I'm finally getting around to. I just scheduled this surgery. That's been you know a couple of you know few years in the coming uh, at the end of the month. Um, and it was really hard. It was really hard to do that. But all I could think was, I can't care for her if I can't care for myself. If I'm in so much pain that I can't lift her. I mean, the girl got hips for days. The child is 120 pounds now. And I'm like, if I can't lift her because I'm in so much pain that we both fall, you know, then I'm not helpful. Um, but it took a lot of trust because I had to trust caregivers uh, I did finally break down and allow a caregiver to come in maybe about almost nine years ago. And that was one of the best decisions I made because at first I did everything. I didn't want anybody to take care of my kid. Um, so I did allow a caregiver to come in because she is trained, uh, you know, medically. Um, if I wanted uh, to have a nurse come in to, to take care of Kiki, I could also schedule that. Um, and so one of the things that my, my um, current husband and I do uh, feel very strongly about is having the time to get away and debrief. That doesn't mean that I don't worry about all of them, especially Kiki when I'm gone. Um, but I, I feel confident that I've, I've lined up the medical professionals. Um, you know, it's not like we go places every weekend. He's a truck driver. He's not here like that. Um, you know, but there are times when, um, you know, he understands and he's very supportive. Um, we want to feel like uh, people instead of feeling like parents, right? And so it's, it's not... Um, it's not the, the jail sentence that it, it, it doesn't have to be a jail sentence. Now, again, when they were younger, I did not do this, right? I wouldn't leave them with anybody except my mama. Um, but now that they're teenagers, one thing getting a caregiver did for me was realize that Kiki don't want me in her face every day either. You know what I mean? Like she gets tired of dealing with mommy. She gets tired of looking at me. And so now she has a caregiver that's been with us almost nine years. She's able to kind of, they do their own thing. When I go in her room, she kind of side eyes me like, why are you in here, mommy? Me and Miss Lily are doing what we do. You know, and I realized that had I been, continued to be resistant to that, you know, that she wouldn't have had that opportunity to kind of build her own relationships, right? Um, and so I do try hard. It's not always easy. Like I said, I put this surgery off because I'm going to have a six week recovery after. 
And I'm like, I can't live with her after that. Um, and so that means relying on people that I do have. Uh, and I, I haven't always had those people, but I've also not always been willing to rely on them. But that's the fear that drives me now. I'll be 50 in a few months. And I'm like, okay, girl, you ain't no spring chicken. You got to take care of yourself so that you and Kiki can get y'all a two-seater when all these other kids leave the house. <laughs> and so when I tell her it's going to be just us, it's going to be me, you, and Poppy. Are we going to let Poppy come with us? And she'll just laugh and laugh, you know, because she she loves herself that. She, you can't tell her that he doesn't belong to her. And so we understand that if we are going to stay solid, if we are going to stay healthy and stay together so that we can ride off into the sunset, the three of us, that we have to take care of ourselves. Um, and so that's my driving thing now. It's like I'm in that prime range with black women with heart attacks, high blood pressure. Thankfully, I don't have any of that. Thankfully, I don't have any of these things, but I could develop them. Right. And so I, I try really hard to stay healthy, uh, as healthy as I can mentally. I've been in and out of therapy when I need to be. Um, and so I have to, that's the thing that drives me now. If I'm not here, who's going to take care of her? Like her siblings, she only has one adult sibling. Uh, well, she has maybe four adult siblings, but only one that might even be able to care for her. Her other siblings are all minors. So I'm like, oh no, we gotta, we gotta stick around for this. So that's the thing that's kind of forced my hand. Like if you don't, if you're not here, that way. Yeah, that is a that is a fear of mine that it's just us. Like there's no one that can take care of them other than Gerardo and I. And so that's I try to stay healthy and I try to. I think my self care is taking a nap when I can and take making sure I shower. Um, but that's really all I kind of do um but I'm always with them I'm always, I'm always at home with them but that's my extent of self-care <laughs> napping and making sure I shower and uh Gerardo will remind me to eat um we do everything for them or they have us you know go time at all times and uh, Bruce will be starting which I'm terrified because the pan pandemic will be starting a special autism school um that he'll get his developmental and speech therapy they're gonna do some they're gonna try to help him with his pica hopefully he can stop eating nails and pencil erasers but i mean it's like a lot of people on the spectrum have it lifelong and and we'll see we'll see if he becomes verbal um if he does he does if he doesn't it's okay i i i love him and he's funny and i mean they're happy um, yeah, but it's been nice talking to you. I, I guess I, I, I guess I also want to know, like, from all of you, like, how has your writing changed or have you seen your stories change or at least what you want to say change because of your children? I'm curious. Hey, um, before I forget, I just want to say, I, I hope to meet all your children in person someday. And Nico's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad he got to say hello. But truly, I hope I get to meet them all in person someday. I was thinking he heard his name. He's like, I'm here. Yes. <laughs> Nico. What? Everybody. Can you say hi? Oh, he wants to call you guys. Look, we're all in here right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome to meet you, Nico, even if it's over Skype. <laughs> 
Hey, man. <laughs> hey, Brennan. Uh, what I jumped in to say also too is, Brennan, do you do you want to discuss um, Slattery Falls at all and what we were? I just texted him that. Did you really? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I said, "Are you okay if I bring up Slattery Falls? I won't if it's if it's not okay." Wow. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I'm gonna go vague on it. Um, okay. But, uh, I think it definitely ties into what Cena just asked, so I'll answer both. Um, <laughs> so, truth be told, I I have not been at this long enough to say you know my writing has changed. I mean, I I tried my hand at this for the first time in uh, August of 2019. Um, so both my boys were diagnosed and you know were starting to become who they are as it stands. Um, now, Rhonda, you mentioned earlier, you know, writing, oh, you mentioned so much and I, I'm, I'm going to miss some points on it, but, uh, you know, writing both respectfully and from a viewpoint that you weren't sure if it was yours to share. Um, and I have written character, autistic characters from several lenses, um, and they're, is a character in Slattery Falls who is not the main character, but in a fair portion of the story and very, very substantial to the story. But we only see him through another character's lens. So every everything we get is an observation through this character's eyes. Um, and I will say it's not explicitly stated in the book that he's that this character is autistic if if anything it's that's in my head he is um and if you are if you know someone if you love someone who is on the spectrum i think you'll see it um i have written stories that have autistic characters from another point of view i've done first person and i that's that's for me that's that's not something I have any intention of shopping around or releasing. Um, it's more a way to understand and I don't even know if understand is the right word, but attempt to understand um, from a lens that I don't have the brain wiring to understand. Uh, again, it all comes down to developing that empathy to seeing these kids who have so many strengths and who are so funny and so interesting, but also have their challenges and struggles trying to understand how they see the world because they can't always tell you straight out. Um, you know, Cena, you mentioned, and I think it's absolutely beautiful. If he, if he, uh, stays nonverbal that's okay if he becomes verbal that's okay too but the thing is you know him you love him you understand him and he can communicate with you and he can communicate with you and with Gerardo in a way that he might not be able to communicate with anybody else in the world uh but you you know he doesn't have to say a word and you know what he wants for the most part um when my kids were nonverbal. Uh, you know, Dallas was nonverbal until he was 
five, and even after that was very limited. Dustin was nonverbal until he was four. He communicated by shrieking at us all the time. Um, but it, you know, the I've heard that you can. Um, that keeping your brain busy, puzzles, Sudoku, things like that. Uh, there are, you know, old, old wives tales saying that wards off, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's. And I said, with the amount of puzzles that my wife and I had to solve, uh, but, you know, a kid saying green and you have to figure out that means that you didn't buy the right chips at the store because he said green. Yes. Uh, I said, we're, we are at no risk for that with the amount of puzzles, with the amount of uh, detective work that we had to do. Like, they, they, like, yeah, exactly. And so, like, even something simple, like, in the house, like, if you move something, like, if we we once moved, like, the kitchen table over an inch, it, it was, like, this huge fight because we can't, like, he knew, like, the oldest one knew, like, we can't move anything. He will know if, like, books, it's, it's they're, at least our kids, like, their memories are really scary. Um, you can't lie to them because they know things and they remember things. And even Bruce, who's nonverbal, he will take my hand and he will direct me into the place in the house where something's missing or adjusted something. Um, I really like what Tyler said about that shadow, the shadow self. I really like, I think, I think that's really going to stick with me. Um, it's something I, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about it, the, you know, the older I've gotten and just... Become, you know, I, nobody, nobody becomes a, no one thinks they're going to become a special needs parent, and so I think a lot of us, even now, that we're, you know, we're still learning things about them and ourselves and how to navigate this world, and if there are any people that know doctors and doctor's appointments and specialists, it's like we have that down packed, and it's a language that we didn't think that we would have to become proficient at. And I did, it's just something, again, like, and like Mercedes says, it's, I wouldn't change it, but it's just something that you didn't expect. But I think our, I I like to think our kids are lucky that they have us because it seems like we're really loving parents and we will do anything for these awesome kids. And um, I think to anybody that has special needs kids, I mean, I, days or <laughs> exhaustion happens and breakdowns happen I never let my kids see it I never let them I don't want them to to think I'm tired of you like I'll tell Gerardo I need a few minutes I'm gonna come upstairs and just cry or do something because it is so important that they know they are absolutely perfect nothing they do is wrong if they do something wrong um Clark, especially because he's like eight, almost eight. He gets really scared that he's going to get in trouble. And it's like, you broke something? Okay, who cares? Are you safe? And that's always my question to him. If he does something bad, well, are you safe? Nothing else matters. Like, all that matters is them. And so to any special needs parents listening, you're okay. You got us out here, you know? (laughs) You remember, um, was it Beetlejuice, the the handbook for the newly dead? Is that what it is? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they need to there needs to be something like that for special needs parents you know like handbook for the <laughs> new special needs parents. oh 
That would be great, <laughs> except that everything's so different, though. I, it's like, so true, so true. I mean, like, I'm listening to, like, each of you, and I'm going, okay, I get that. Well, we haven't had that, and then we have this. I mean, and of course, you know, like, there's a... Uh, but I do find myself being inspired so much by Kiki. Um, she's so stubborn, and she has learned how to do things by just sheer will alone. Um, she's fearless. Uh, she does things that, I mean, if you forget to strap in her wheelchair strap, like the chest strap, like, woe be it to you because she is going to buck. She is, I mean, she, when she was little, she used to have this little neoprene seat, feeding seat thing, right? And some kind of way she managed to flip the thing upside down. So she's like hanging about six inches off the floor by just the strap and I'm frantic. I was pregnant. I was always pregnant in those days. I run over to the seat. I flip it over and she's laughing her head off. She's the only kid of mine that rides like, um, you know, theme park rides and stuff. Of course, we can only get her on the ones where I can literally hold her and kind of hold her head steady so that it doesn't whip around. But she loves merry-go-round. She loves the swing. She loves these things. Um, and I find her so fearless that one way that, that my whole life is changing, my writing is that I'm more fearless now. I'm like, if this girl can go and sit up and look at these folks for six, eight hours a day and then know that they, some of them don't want to fool with her at school and, and tolerate them while they try to make her learn stuff that she doesn't want to be bothered with, that she can deal with people poking on her all the time and always asking these questions and acting like they don't. If she can deal with this, then surely... I can put this story out there. I mean, really, that's a tiny thing in the space of all of that, right? If she can find the most wicked thing to laugh about, because she loves SpongeBob too, right? And she's not supposed to understand most of those jokes. There are very inappropriate things that come on TV, and she will fall laughing. Just, oh, my gosh. And I'm thinking, if you can live like this way, like, how can I be fearful to, to go to this convention? How can I be fearful to go apply for this job like that's kind of to me i'm like i know she i take inspiration from her um that there's so much that she is fearless in uh you know she talks to the squirrels outside i mean like she's fearless she's not afraid of any of these animals i mean i'm just like girl oh my god i don't want to fool with the little goats but she's like reaching her hands down and laughing at them and you know rubbing her hands on them and i'm like if she can be unafraid then surely i can do the same thing um, and so this is one. And then I used to think also that there were terrifying things in the world being a parent with my older son. So I have a son who is like eight years older than her. Um, being pregnant actually triggered all these horror writing things, the hormone stuff. Um, but I wasn't always an out and proud horror writer. Um, and so once I actually came out uh, and started doing that, I realized that being a parent, honey, I have been through the fire. Do you hear me? And every day is going to bring another fire. And really... Somebody telling me no, that don't mean not one thing. They tell me no about my child all the time. You know what I mean? Somebody saying to me, we're not going to take this. Okay, and so, okay, we'll just go do something else. We'll go do it again. We'll go do this other thing. And so I think that um, that being a parent in general has helped me to be much more fearless, um, but also uh, made me realize that the things that I thought I was afraid of 
that ain't shit. You know what I mean? Like, I used to be afraid of all this other stuff. And I'm like, man, but like, have you ever like had to have your baby resuscitated? You know, like, has you ever did that? You know, have you ever thought that, you know, this thing was gonna, you know, she, she popped her button out because she loves to do that. Or like, even before I interviewed uh, Maurice Bronis on this past Saturday morning, Stokercon, I go up to her bedroom and she has figured out how to remove her diaper. So, I mean, like, this is how my life goes. And so I'm like, how can you let something small weigh lay you? I mean, I, I cleaned her up. I cleaned the bed up. I told the girl, don't you be taking this diaper off no more. <laughs> like, and all of this. But I mean, like, it, it, the things that I thought were frightening, they're not frightening anymore. Uh, we just live without a whole lot. We live with a lot less fear now. And the things that are still very frightening, I just embrace them. Because what are you going to do? So what are you going to do? Yeah, well said. Yeah, like the things that I used to get scared, like it's not scared, like really what's, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like how can you become, be scared of certain things? I, I think we're more, we, we know challenges, we know like real home challenges and risks and safety. And so in terms of like writing and submitting something, it's like, you know, there's really, of course, there's going to be a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of worry, but considering everything else that we're dealing with, you know, sleep exhaustion, <laughs> um, you know, the therapists and scheduling therapy and insurance, let's not even get into insurance. That's a whole other like nightmare that we're always fighting because we never insurance companies never want to pay what we believe they should pay for our, our, our the therapies our children need like I mean Clark needed occupational therapy because he he had he struggled to walk for a long time and we didn't know how if he would be able to you know if he needed we didn't know and um so he had years and years of physical and occupational therapy but um we have we have struggled i think and i think those struggles are con are every day but i think that our love for our children pushes through and they come through in our writing and they perhaps in a way come through in our fearlessness in a little in a little regard that I'm going to write this thing and I'm going to submit it and we're going to go for it and we take risks um, so, yeah. and the idea that time is finite like we don't have the time we don't have the luxury of you know it's finite so do what you need to do when you need to do it because we're not guaranteed forever and it's mortality is staring us right in the face so I think we grasp at it that is huge i didn't after i became a after these two i i, I have like this desperate need to write to create to 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 leave them something and i really and that's one thing about my writing especially i want them to be proud of my writing of anyone else i want my children when they look and mom is no longer here. They can say, mom was trying to tell us something. Mom was trying to tell us that she loved the world so much and that there's bad people there and she wanted to fight them and she knew that there were monsters there. And I need them to know that. I need them to know that there's bad people there 
but that there's good people and that there's magic and that this world is just full of magic and love for them. And I think that's what I'm trying to tell them. Sorry. <laughs> no, no need to apologize. Yeah, uh, you know what? This is, I don't know if this is just my mind being weird, but I it makes me think of when Peter Straub looked like he was going to die for a little while and his daughter, Emma um, Straub, who's you know, pretty well-known author herself was talking about how, you know, I got all these books, some of them are so goddamn big, of what my father wanted to talk about. And even though they're about serial killers or ghost stories or, you know, whatever, he goes, there's heart in here, there's love, there's my dad in there. And Cena, I guarantee that they will absolutely think that for all of you guys. Um we're coming up on two hours. We could go, I'm sure, for four hours, but I don't know if anyone's going to listen to a four-hour <laughs> podcast. So I would, um, I want to ask all your guys' permission if we can do one thing and then jump into where can people follow you and final thoughts. Are you guys all, all, all good with that? Yeah. Okay. I don't want to rush anyone. This is, you know, nothing I want to rush you guys with. All right. So, um... Weird segue, but if you want to check out those articles, seeing how it is June, or if you listen to this and it's not June anymore, still check it out for the LGBTQ articles by Eric LaRocca, T.C. Parker, and Bree Morgan. While you're there, seems kind of weird for me to plug this, but I have it in my notes, so uh, check out the store where you can get my ugly mug on a mask, considering it's the plague times, and uh, it might be the style that no one wants, or a coffee mug, and so much more. Uh, let's jump to where can people follow you first with uh, Tyler. I've got a website, tylerjones.net, uh, and on Twitter at tjoneswriter. Um, Mercedes. Uh, you can find me at mercedesmyardley.com. You can hear Nico playing all his, some of his loud sounds. I'm on Twitter at, Mer- at mercedesmy. I'm on Facebook, Mercedes Murdoch Yardley. Instagram at Mercedes MY. I'm just all over the place. Miss Rhonda. So, yeah, y'all know I'm Tech Challenge. I promise I'm having a website built. My teams are doing it because I can't. Uh, and so, until that's done, um, you can always find me on Twitter, not writing because I'm supposed to be writing and I'm always on Twitter. So. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Cena, where can people follow you? Super quick before we follow me, just my, I have to say thank you so much, Tyler, for all these beautiful stories about Liam and the shadow self that's going to stick with me, I think, forever. Thank you, Mercedes, for Life is Finite. Yes. Thank you, Rhonda, for Kiki. Thank you. She's like a gem. I, I feel her energy when you talk about her. I just, I get so excited. Thank you, Brennan, for the amazing stories about your boys, and I'm so happy that they're happy at home. And you can find me at sinapalayo.com at my website, and on Twitter, sinapalayo. Thank you. Brennan, where can people follow you, bud? Uh, mostly on Twitter, at Brennan LaFaro. Uh, you can go to Instagram. It's the same. It has not been updated in a while. And I'm just going to go out and and, and, and throw out uh, BrennanLafaro.com. Now I have to get that done before uh, this airs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got less than a month, my man. Uh, I can do that. <laughs> f- 
Final thoughts. Whoever wants to jump in, go for it. Tyler. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to jump off what Mercedes said. Someone asked me, I think it was last year, what I'm most afraid of. And I think they were expecting an answer like vampires, demons, something. And my answer was time. Time terrifies me because there's only so much of it. And none of us know how much sand is in that hourglass. And that applies when I think about Liam. You know, I, I, there's this fear, this weight that I think we all carry. Uh, when is it our kids' time to go? But we don't know when we go. We don't know when any of us go. So how then does that change how we live? And, I, and it's something that I carry with me every single day. And I think it applies whether you have kids with special needs or not. You know, we have this, this beautiful gift of being alive in this big, beautiful world, like Cena said, full of magic. And there's monsters, yes, but there's also magic. And uh, we get a unique glimpse into a special kind of magic. And I think that that um, shapes who we are. It shapes the art we create. And I hope that it spills out into the people we come into contact with. Uh, but it, it's an important thing to be reminded of, I think, whether you special needs parent or not. Time, man. We only have so much of it, and it is so vital that we do everything we can with every minute that we've got. Um, yeah. To all the other special needs parents out there, um, you're loved. And uh, create, not just art. Create life, humans. <laughs> just create. That's awesome, uh, Rhonda. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you all so much for this. Um, this fellowship. I, I had not told Cena this and I talked to Cena a lot, but um, I reached out to her uh, recently when I was kind of faced with, um, you know, trying to uh, sign on with this agent. And uh, I reached out to her for a couple of different reasons. First reason, because she's one of the smartest people I know. Um, this lady is brilliant. Cena is so brilliant. But also, I think without me having to say so, when I was asking her, what do I do? What should I do? I have tons of writer friends and I love them all dearly. But I specifically reached out to her because without me having to say to her, girl, the lives that we live with the kids that we have, can I really do this? And she was so amazing um, in inspiring me to to move forward in that way. And so I I... I appreciate this fellowship. So even though I never told you that, you know, that's what was always in my head was like, let me ask her. She'll know if we can really look, can we really do this? Like, I, I think I'm fearless, but can I really? And she was all like, Hey, go for it. She never even said not one time. Well, maybe you have to think about, no. So we, we can help each other as the parents of disabled children in ways that um, I'm not sure that other people always can. And, and so I appreciate that. I appreciate us all coming together. Now I feel like I'm a part of a crew. So now we're like, you know, siblings and stuff and we're BFFs and that's what it is. Um, so, so thank you all for this. This has been very, very helpful. That's awesome. Cena. <laughs> I, I am, I like, I just feel like I, this is our breakfast club. <laughs> um it's been great talking to you all 
Um, I love you, Rhonda, so much. Like I, 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 I treasure our friendship, um, all of you. It's been wonderful to talk to you and to get to know your beautiful children. Um, my final thoughts are uh, autism changed my life. And if you meet someone on the spectrum, be kind. Uh, they're wonderful people. I, I, I just can't stress that enough. And gosh, their world. I mean, I am lucky to ha- to be my children's mom. And Aww. they, <laughs> that's my number, like the, the best thing that's ever happened to me is being their mom. Nothing else, like nothing else. Like it's to be their mom and I am lucky and I'm thankful for them and I'm excited every day when I wake up because I get to play with them so <laughs> so if you meet someone on the spectrum be kind and ask questions it's okay that's great Mercedes final thoughts yeah final thoughts um <laughs> I think our kids are changing the world and the the younger generation is changing the world and I think the people our age and older the adults that are disappointments I think it's more because they haven't been, um, they're just not used to it. It's not something that they all are familiar with. And I think that um, my computer's dying. I'm going to plug it in real quick. We can, um, I'm just really proud to know you guys. And I feel like so much better. We're stronger together, you know, and I just feel this camaraderie that, and thank you for letting me talk about my son and what it's like. And I feel that, we gloss over it so much because we don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable, but this is what our lives are like. And it's not beautiful all the time. And sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it is magical and wondrous and glorious. And, um, I think honesty is huge, hugely important. So thank you guys. Brennan. Yeah. I mean, I want to echo a lot of what you guys just said. I mean, Tyler, I could listen to you talk for hours and it's not just right. Um, it's the hair helps, but no, I, I, Tyler, every time you open your mouth, I feel like wisdom just pours out. Um, and he's I'm really like, excited. He's like that Chuck we... Polinick Jr. I'm sorry. I have to put it out there, man. You guys are so goddamn smart. Yeah. I am very excited to have you on for that solo episode later this year. Uh, Rhonda, you were just spirit incarnate and I, and I loved hearing your stories and uh, thank you so much for sharing yeah, Cena, you know, everything we bounced off each other, I feel like, you know, we could have a conversation for hours just comparing our boys um, and your thoughts on writing as legacy to them. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And Mercedes, I've never met Nico, but I, I love him. I, I shared with you when you came on last time. Um, I work with some kids with Williams syndrome uh, on music and I, there is no, there's almost no greater pleasure in my life than, you know, playing music uh, with my Williams syndrome kids because they are just love, you know, they are just a physical representation of love. Um, If people are still listening to this, I would assume that they both have an interest in special needs kids or being a special needs parent and also love to read. So, you know, uh, we mentioned earlier that there should be a handbook, but there's not. There's just, you know, 50 million books that you can, you know, pick little bits of. I actually, if there is anybody listening who is learning, uh, is new to having a child with uh, diagnosed uh, with autism or a relative or a friend or a friend, anything, 
I, I just want to share a couple books that uh, meant a lot to me. Uh, this is The Reason I Jump by Naoki Higashida. Uh, he is an autistic man, actually, in Japan, but he wrote this when he was uh, younger, uh, early teens, I think. And I'm reading that sequel right now. Oh, it's, what's oh. it called? Fall Down uh, Seven? Fall Down Sometimes Santa Beat. I'm re- it's on my kitchen yeah. table as we speak. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great one, too. This was I, I picked this one because this was the first one I read by him. Um, but he types it he's nonverbal or at least he was when he wrote this and he wrote the entire thing uh using a letter board pointing to one letter at a time and there it's a series of short essays uh really insightful for what it means to be uh you know an autistic person Uh, another one that i love is beyond the wall uh by dr stephen shore who is an autistic musician doctor teacher uh if you've ever heard the saying if you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person he's kind of the person credited with coming up with that um uniquely human by barry present um this is a doctor out of rhode island um and he you know the book is wonderful we actually used to gift it to the boys teachers when they were in school um because it's not just a lot of here's what I think. I'm always very, very cautious when somebody deems themselves an autism expert because usually it means they're full of shit. Um, <laughs> but the in this guy's case, a lot of it is, you know, here is this autistic adult and my experience working with them. Uh, here's what they have to say. Here are their thoughts on the matter. Um, and he has an entire educational model, which I won't bore you with, but I studied the ins and outs of it in order to uh, teach professional development on it called the certs model. Um, and then this is a great one too, although it's a, it's a, it's a biggie. Uh, it's called Neurotribes by C- Steve Silberman. And this is a very, very in-depth uh, s- look at the history of autism, diagnoses, treatment, uh, treatment of individuals. It's very interesting, but there's a reason I saved it for last. <laughs> You know what? I guess it's my turn. Uh, if we are a fellowship, then Tyler would be whoever the genius is. Cena would be the warrior. Mercedes would be the all-caring mother who has all these wonderful ways to make you feel better. Rhonda would be the spirit of the entire fellowship. And Brennan, I don't know who the hell I'd be. Maybe like the dog that's like dumb, but you like to like it's it's nice. So you like to give it treats and and you're my best buddy. So I look, I I love all you guys. I, I truly do. And I think you already know that. And I feel honored and lucky to be your friend. And not only that, that you guys were comfortable enough to to talk on here. Um, it means the world to me, and I don't think this is all we're ever going to talk about about this topic. I think we're going to have to return to this subject next year if everyone's comfortable with that. It just feels like there's a lot more to cover, and um, obviously that's up to all you guys, but I'm really hoping that the right people hear this, and by that I mean anyone, because it can help everyone. So for that, I thank you guys for writing for teaching the next generation uh, a thank you because I'm taking notes mentally and I'm applying it to what will I teach my son 
And you guys, I've never cried in an episode, but you guys tore me up. I, I love you guys so much, so thank you again. Patrick, thank you, truly. Thank you, and, and Brennan as well, for sharing your show with us and giving us a, an opportunity and space to, to meet each other, to, to, to discuss our kids and art and life. So thank you to both of you. This has been an honor and a pleasure, and it's been truly wonderful to meet all of you guys. Absolutely, man. Um, Everyone, so much love to you and your kids, and just hugs. Too many. I think we need an anthology. An anthology. I think we do. Just. I think. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think there's people that have made uh, anthologies here. Can I be the dumb dog in it? (laughs) Uh, We need a bard. (laughs) Yes. So for those that are wondering, what's next? Well, we got two answers as opposed to one. Next Monday is uh, episode 96 with Sam Richard. He is the proprietor of Weird Punk Books as well as an author. But before that, so this is coming out on a Monday. The th- the three days later is uh, Thursday with Cena uh, Palayo. We are doing something new where it's called Deadhead Space Spotlights. Uh, the reason for it is... I am the producer, so I overbook, and I want to talk to everyone. And we want—I want Cena on, and uh, we're, we're going to get a solo episode from her next year. But um, we want her on now, so we we're uh, going to have her where we do a read-in, which doesn't really fit the show. But the this spotlight series is basically a mini episode with read-ins, and we learn a little bit about that book a little bit about the author, uh, where people can follow them and get the books. So we only had one person in mind for that. That was Cena, um, because we love her and not to take anything else away from anyone else, but it, she's just the right person. Luckily she said yes. So that will be Thursday. Don't know how long it'll be five minutes to 30 minutes. Who knows? Not the whole reading, just a episode. And, uh, that's all I got. Thank you again, everybody. Um, it's an honor and a real privilege. And for you listeners, you have many podcasts to listen to. Thank you for picking this one. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.